So everybody you've met through church. Oh gosh, yeah, I love churches. That's where you meet people. So fascinating. That's, that's where you meet your well, mates. Well, it is where you meet your mates. It's funny though because you know, being a gay man, it's yeah. like church has a lot of oh, a lot of many many churches have issues with being gay. And, and there are all sorts of churches out there. So and there's all sorts of churches. There are all sorts of institutions. Well, let, let's call it what it yeah. is. I'm sure a yeah. lot of a lot of hypocrisy where a lot of stuff is going on where there's a lot yeah. of hypocrisy. You know, th- this is the thing about gay men or uh, men, people that choose my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're pick- picking and choosing family members. It's not by blood. This week for part two of Being Authentically, Wyndon Newton, the artist, as I sit down with my dear friend and continue our conversation about the courage to change, the guidance of mentors, taking risks, erotic art, and so much more. I look forward to you grabbing that cup of coffee and that cannoli. Grab that seat because here we go. Again, part two with my dear friend. Wendy Newton. So you went from Wayland to college and then was with Gary for 18 years. And then I think it was in the late 90s that you eventually relocated. I re- Go ahead. September 6th. My birthday. 2002. Okay. I came out here. I'd come out the, earlier in the summer. And uh, I, I had um, I had a trove of erotic work art that I. You had a trove of erotic work. I have a trove of erotic work. I didn't know that. We have to talk about that. Jesus. And I. Was it all penises? Well, I mean, erotic works, erotic work. It's not vaginas. (laughs) <laughs> asking because I like drawing penises and you know I like working with beautiful men but I mean I'm just you know we have more in common uh, than we I think realize the, <laughs> and I suddenly realized what am I going to do with this work Gary you know it, it wasn't like Gary wanted to store this if I ever died uh, my parents didn't want it and I was by this time but your parents have seen it all yeah, mom, mom is aware was aware of it, is aware of it. And uh, I had these erotic stories I'd written, and I was like, what do I do with this stuff if something happens to me? Maybe I should be setting up, you know, in the future uh, for an archive somewhere. Well, the town of Fenland is known for archiving erotic works, specifically. Are you kidding me now? Uh, Finland, the government? No, Tom of Finland here. Tom of Finland, and I can't pronounce his name, is the national uh, Finnish illustrator. He was the top illustrator. Okay. Wow. There's a stamp with, with a drawing of a guy's butt. Amazing. Uh, basically, one of his drawings that is a national stamp. Well, the Tom Finland Foundation is here in Los Angeles. Love it. And wow. 
it. It's a Tom Finland house, basically, and Dur Durham was one of Tom's models. Yeah, okay. Uh, Tom lived in this house, mm -hmm. and I guess what it was left to him, or however it works out, Tom uh, did not die here. He went back to Finland. Okay. And the house is now on the National Register. Okay. Uh, Where is it here in the city? It's in um, Echo Park. Over Levia uh, Street. Okay. And we're, we're recording this in yeah. episode in yeah. Los Angeles. So we're, we're in, where in, it is yeah. in the city. It's in, the, it's in Los Angeles. Yeah, okay. And uh, anyway, they had an emerging erotic artist uh, contest. And I became one of the emerging erotic artists. How did I miss this? Wait, this is. Well, this is the best part. I mean, I don't want to come off like like sounding strange. I, I just have always after been, after September 11th, and I can't. I haven't had a job as in 9/11. 9/11. Okay. Uh, I haven't had a decent job. I'm seriously questioning whether I can come up with my half of the mortgage, which is only five hundred dollars, which is down in Florida with Gary. Yeah. But uh, up till now, you've been paying your part and yeah. you've been employed oh. and all these things. So now oh, I, I have $10,000 murals. You can get two or three of those a year and your mortgage is only $500 a month. You know, and, and you your other expenses. $30,000. Yeah, you can live off of $30,000. Right. And that and the other. And, and uh, we, we were making good money. It was, it was $20 a student. Or yeah. 15 to, 15 to 20, depending. If there were older students, they didn't pay the How many bus. students did you average it was a week or eight, a month? Eight students, eight to 10, uh, five days a week. Eight to 10 at $30 a head? Eight to 10 at 15 to $20 a head. So $20 yeah. a head at how many a week? Eight to 10. Collectively, a total a week. Let's say 40. 40 times 20 a head. So you're making like 800, it's $800,000 or $8,000. Like, no, it, well, it was enough to cover. It, Gary had, you're had the calculation. You were making uh, probably five grand in my, my uh, Toyota ton, My Toyota Tundra van right, right. was $178 a month. Or it was a hundred. I remember, you know, it was like, I could do that. I could do the mortgage. I could do this. Expenses and travel. So the classes Covered. along with, yeah, so the classes supported your lifestyle mm -hmm. and the art sales was just a sprinkle on the cake. Yeah. It, the, the extra stuff we wanted to invest in. Basically. Amazing. What a great life. Well, you that all created. fell apart. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, when everything else fell apart. And um, I had a mentor. I, I've had a series of really grand mentors. Neil, oh God, he's died now. I've lost him. Um, Chicago. I called him my Chicago Paul. Okay. And he had one of the brownstones that looked into Wrigley Fields before oh, okay. they so built up the walls. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Okay. He was the first one to build 
over his brownstone oh, with wow. these girders. He said it was $100,000 a girder. He had to pay the Teamsters. So $2 million expense. Wow. He said within two years, he had recouped his money. Wow, wow, I bet. $20,000 a game. Wow. Seats 200 people, bathrooms, wow. bar, everything. Looking wow. At, and he did this in 1979. Wow. 80. So visionary. So... Uh, so it, and so he took me under his wing, and uh, good guy to be under one's wing, Ellis. So when I was being a big baby, complaining about uh, after nine eleven, like oh god, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, "Shut up, buy yourself a ticket, get out to Chicago during this date. Here's the date. We'll find out what you really want to be doing." And. Uh, I went out there during IML, International Mr. Leather Contest. Oh, interesting. And uh, so we went to the events. And during that time, out casually, out of the blue, he points to a guy, this kind of strapping black guy with the big bulge and the whatever. Yeah. Um, and so get a picture of that guy. And of course, I just walked up to take the picture and realize I haven't asked permission. And the guy looks up at me, gives me one of these looks, and I put the camera down, and, and I go, I've been set up. I completely, and I apologize. I said, I didn't ask for permission if I could take your picture. And he was like, oh, come over here. You can take my picture, it's all right. You just, you know, ask first. And because I wasn't aware of the whole leather community, you know, it was not my yeah. background. <laughs> it was, and it's kind of this militaristic posing. It's somewhere between Vogue and the military and the Boy Scouts in a pseudo weird way because they call each other boy, master, boy, slave, whatever. Anyway, I get to talking to this big black guy who, by the way, has the most Midwestern accent mm -hmm. you've ever heard. Mm -hmm. Um, and I say that I, you know, I, I do erotic work and, uh, you know, what kind of work do you do? And I said, well, I do this, but I do have this erotic work and everything. And I'm trying to figure out where to place it. And he's like, oh, you should come to come Finland. I'll, I'll put you up. Why don't you come out to LA and, uh, for two, two weeks or so during this period and this period is when they're having the event. And I set that whole thing sets up in three minutes. Incredible. So I come out, uh, contact the Tom Finland. They put me on the roster. I show my work at the house. Um, Michael Stephen, no, Michael Goss is his name, uh, Goss Productions. Michael Goss uh, has me stay in his home. And uh, I do all this computer work because I'm, I'm really great at uh, Photoshop. And at the, as he's driving me back, he says, when are you coming back? I'm hiring you. I need a personal assistant. And I said, well, give me a month to finish my, my uh, projects. I had two or three major art commissions that I needed to finish up. And I went back to Gary and I said, I'm going to get a job. I have a job. You know, eight hundred dollars a month. 
uh, in um, in LA, which is more than I'm making here. <laughs> you know, so uh, Gary Gary agreed. He said, uh, "All right, um, I'll give you a year. Go try it. If you come, if you want to come back in a year, fine. If not, you know, I'll buy you out. You know, sell sell to me, sell to me." Oh. And, uh, you know, because he knew, you know, 18 years, it was kind of, I'd grown up, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted, I wanted another experience. Um, of course, I, you don't really know what you're stepping into. And so at this point, you're like 39 years old. Yeah. So this is very interesting that you mentioned this. But Gary, you were intimate, right? You mm-hmm. were, right. Yeah. So. Well, Gary basically was my first lover. Okay. And, 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 and. Oh, that was the story I didn't tell. Okay. So I've been kissing Lori, who I love. She was great. Oh, she was beautiful. I mean, I had Bo Derek in a bed, basically. And I didn't know what to do. Well, first, it, it doesn't work. The truth is, is you're wired a certain way. Yeah. Uh, I get over uh, Gary after. We, I do this thing and I have to go. I mean, I'm like, just give me a number and I have to get back. Have to get yeah. back. So we don't exchange any information or anything. But would you believe that next weekend uh, I'm at a restaurant or something and there's Gary, you know, and he literally, he gets up from his friends and comes over to me in my college group. And, you know, he's like, oh, great to see you again, kind of. And, you know, fine. He goes back to his table. And then, like, the next day, he's driving by, and he stops and says hi again. Well, by this time, he's like, you know, what, why don't we go out to dinner or something? You know, I mean, literally, he's flirting with me, and I like him, so why not? So at some point, he leans over and kisses me in sync. I was, I was like, oh, my God, that's what's been missing. It's been the wrong person. I mean, you know, when you know, you know. Yeah. That, and that's what I tell people. When you know, you know. And no one else is going to be able to tell you otherwise. And they're all going to warn you. They're all going to say, you know, there are pitfalls here. And they can see it, but you have to live through it. Mm-hmm. I was really fortunate. An 18-year relationship in the gay community, well, in any in any situation is um, stellar. I mean, it really is. And he really thought of it as, as a forever marriage. Yeah. And when, you know, about 12 years into it or whatever, I realized, oh, you know, well, it worked because I was, I hadn't arrived. You've, I, I'm now in this other uh, situation and it's time for me to move on. And, uh, you know, we worked it out like adults do well and you're lucky that because you know it's interesting it's interesting that you talk about that first love and that first experience i say this to straight men about you know different ages of their partnerships and if they're with a woman half their age or 20 years younger in your case, yeah. you know, you so were 14, 14, 15. 14 that's a, a that beca- starts to become a bigger break of age than people realize. Um, the eldest I had ever been difference in age was um, 20 years, almost to almost exactly 20 years. And I was 
aligned with somebody pretty famous at a certain point. Um, uh, but we're not talking about me right now. And, oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> oh my God, I think about this so often. It's really funny because there's just certain worlds that know nothing about this. And then there's other worlds that like, you know, when they hear, it's it's quite fascinating. But the, my point too, that I was trying to make originally was that, um, you know, you start out as a 21-year-old, like when you met Gary, and you mm -hmm. said he's 14, you know, yeah. years older. And now here you are at 39, and who you were at 21 is not who you are at 39. And I say this to men all the time about women. Who they are at 21 is not who they're going to be at 25 or 29 or 32 or 37, let alone 40, whatever. And you say you stated yeah. that and you and, you know, was it was a combination of sorts. Maybe like maybe if you were making the money that and maybe you would have stayed put. It, maybe, it really was set up as a marriage. Mm -hmm. uh, Gary and I own the house together mm -hmm. equally. We own all these other things equally. And so we had to, you know, get an attorney and mm -hmm. kind of disassemble. Uh, my dad, uh, the financial guy he was, it didn't do a prenup, but he basically said, you know, what, what Wyndon has inherited here uh, to help with the studio and mm -hmm. what we're built, what you built is uh, goes back to Wyndon mm -hmm. if you separate for any reason. When was that drawn up? The, right at the beginning. Oh, so, God damn yeah. smart. But your father probably did that because of what else you knew about regarding your family yeah. history. Yeah. I mean, it was, and he it was, had to protect it you was, and well, that. It was $78,000. Yeah. My parents gave us, Gary and I both basically gave us the, uh, my inheritance up front so that they so could, could see what I would do with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that we had this incredible studio. Um, but then at the same time, Gary's that was father, a lot of money back then. Yeah. Gary, Gary's father, who was a contractor, had his contractors get together. So for a hundred and forty thousand dollars, whatever it was, we built a three hundred thousand dollar home. Oh, you must have on two lakes with the studio and everything. Holy crap. So and Gary's back then, it must have been like a mansion. And it, I mean now well, it must be worth millions. The the no, it's in Florida. It's, okay. <laughs> and it is on a phosphate pit that glows. But it's, it's and Gary, well, I mean, Gary built the studio he wanted. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I went along the ride. I was like, I didn't know. Yeah. And Gary designed it, which yeah. was, was worth something. So, I mean, I, oh, no, I was a dutiful husband. Uh, Gary, I walked away. You know, I didn't, he didn't have to sell the place. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, he got he got the house. Um, I got uh, I came out here with seventy thousand dollars that I invested, you know, in whatever I invested. But you can see the situation I have now. But didn't your seventy thousand dollars wasn't it worth more at that point? It was, but I get like whatever above that. You just for I didn't want him to. Uh, there, I mean, I still you're, care. You're, you're an incredibly generous human being that doesn't always happen you know you know that you, just you doesn't get, happen you have a lawsuit or something you end up giving it to the attorneys i know, I know that's right so <laughs> when i went to my first divorce thank god there i mean there was nothing to to split and whatever it was, i didn't I realize that you were married prior 
<clears throat> I was, I met my first husband when I was 25 in Chicago, my, my, my agent. And she was, uh, it's like, it's funny because she wasn't, wasn't my agent, but she really wasn't, but she introduced me to my husband who was a struggling fashion photographer in Chicago who was actually in, on his way. He had already given notice on giving up his 3000 square foot loft. Ironically, I was supposed to, as the story goes, I was supposed to go meet him mm-hmm. to show him my work. And then the next hour, I was supposed to come back to Elite Modeling Agency because they want to talk with me about becoming a full-size, a full-figure model. Oh. And at the time, full-figure models really weren't like an accepted thing. I mean, you can see 40 or 30 years later that it's still like barely coming to its own whatever. But I was like, people are crazy. Like, I don't, I don't know why you think I can be a full figure model. I mean, I get that I'm full figure, but I mean, the few full figure models I was working with at the time were towering over me. They were like 5'10", 5'11", I'm 5'4". Now the joke is that people always think I'm taller, but come on, when you put me next to somebody, you're going to noticeably see. Right. Anyhow, you you said I didn't know you were married. Yes, what happened was I went to meet this man and at the top of the stairwell, I was greeted by this, you know, handsome, kind of Sephardic looking, you know, guy with his 150 pounds St. Bernard German Shepherd in this 3000 square foot loft in Chicago. And I absolutely loved his imagery and he was trained at the Art Institute of Chicago. And he and I were very symbiotic and like, boom, boom, just like spoke mm-hmm. the same language. And I canceled my appointment to go be, you know, like basically become a full figure. <laughs> and we, you know, fell in love and, and God, we were like moved in together immediately. He didn't come to California. We ended up, manifesting the home that we had wanted to rent at the time which was this victorian mansion oh like literally you could see what was then called the john hancock to the mm-hmm. to the sears tower i mean i should say to the john hancock we had this masterful like view from our living room mm-hmm. for all of 650 dollars in this gorgeous 1800 victorian mansion which was like a beer band mansion at the time anyhow we started our relationship then, and um, within three and a half years, I was we had gotten married. I got married at 29, and literally, like I've never said this in this way, so this is kind of crazy that I'm gonna say this. <laughs> oh, I have to catch myself right now. Um, yeah, within like four months' time of being married, I'm now in my career and my fashion career as a makeup and hair artist, independent contracting. I'm working from fashion photographers to um, commercials, and I'm doing ind- I'm heading up independent films now. And the very last independent project I did, which was like at the precipice of Dick Wolf's early career, Dick Wolf has become this huge, huge executive producer, creator all over the television world in the last several decades, was creating a medical slash cop show, which was the intro to all the things he's done now, the Law and Orders. Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, Chicago and Medical, whatever, all these things. 
And on it, as I'm heading this up, do I meet this very, very famous musician? I'm happily married, you know, I'm like, I'm, but I'm, we're struggling artists, but I'm happily married and I um, am supposed to be taking care of one of many actors I've taken care of over the years. And we're in the financial district and literally um, this is kind of like your Gary, you know, like, how do we have these moments? And um, this person's late to coming into my trailer to go through the works. We're in the financial district of Chicago and I go to poke my head out my trailer and I look down the way and there's a sea of people surrounding this person as they're moving in my direction. And I've never seen this group, this very famous group, this very famous musical group, but this person is like a god to these people who are like so many deep all in a circle, but like deep, deep uh, city block of Chicago. And then that person arrives at my door and looks up at me and he's a big man. And his name was, his, his nickname was Big Man and he was 6'4". And he looks up at me and I, and I literally looked at him, didn't even say my name, didn't say his name. I said, get in here, fucker, you're late. And to be in my chair, well, I mean, that must have given him a rise or something because um, this big man, this very famous person who ended up trying to, you know, put my his keys in my, like, you know, pouch, my makeup bags and this, that, and the other. Um, and I was like, what are you doing? You know, like, I'm a newlywed, like, like, not like stuff, you know, like today that would be called the Me Too movement. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like there was, you know, you, we could call it flirtatious or people could find it offensive. I wasn't offended. Um, you know, I was, I was complimented, but I would also say that I don't want to confuse the audience and be like, well, you know you were 29 and, you know, I mean, there were a lot of things in my marriage that weren't good, to be honest, you know, financially it was a struggle and I still made the decision to get married to this person. It was, you know, my intimacy was very minimum and, you know, so I made, I made a choice that probably wasn't the right choice for me. Like I probably married more my brother than my lover, but I don't want that to sound funny and weird either. So in this very, sexy delicious person came along and was like seeking me out it made it very challenging for me to keep saying no 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 and long story short when I finally said to my husband you know we've been invited to you know not swing by the way but we've been invited to you know socialize with this person he was like no no just go I was like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not going. Prudent. He was like, no, 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 go. And I was like, no, we've both been invited. You don't understand. He's like, no, go, go, have fun. And I was like, oh my God, all bets are off now. And, you know, Uh, that night I was, you know, knocking on the door of somebody's hotel room at the Four Seasons to where we were invited to, you know, meet. And I'm greeted by this very famous human being in a robe. And uh, that was his fame. It was kind of like, yeah. And so, um, you know, that was the beginning of several years of this person becoming my lover. 
and um, at the time he they were not actively the group itself was not actively performing in the sense of doing a world tour though they had done many at that point and they were very well established um, and this person was very famous for playing the saxophone and um, he came from a band called Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band, and his name was, because he's no longer with us, Clarence Clemens. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you said sax, I knew exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> you know, there were only a few saxophone players in band, rock bands that, that are uh, notable. Yeah, of our era. Of our of that of era. Our, of our era. Yeah. And, yeah. and I ironically, you know, did not hold like this importance to them as mm-hmm. anybody else around me was like, what what did you just say? Or well, yeah. what are you talking? And so for me it was like very humbling because um not humbling in the sense that I was, I mean, I I first off, I was having an affair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> let's call it what it was and it wasn't intentional and never set out to do that and it you know in in reflection it it crushes me that that I actually acted out on that um and um I had within that year we had moved here to LA ourselves Mm -hmm. and um and within a year and a half, I ended up leaving my first husband. And um, ironically, when Clarence and I, because Clarence always wanted to marry me and was one of those things where, you know, I was either married or by the time he like realized that I had no longer been married because, you know, he was on his own space and whatever. Um, I had already moved on. Mm-hmm. And not in a good way. Unfortunately, that's how I ended up surviving domestic violence. Um, <clears throat> but these are like all those little steps that are big steps right. that you take growing right. up that, you know, today I can speak on part of why many people have said, oh, my God, you should write books because what? Um, and why I launched this podcast, because it's like, look, I just want to have an organic, authentic conversation. And if something I say or something you say is relatable or gives people a sense of, oh my God moment or a light bulb moment or a sense of relatableness moment, or it's just sheer entertainment, whatever it's meant to be, it's going to be, but we all have a life and we all have a story. And, and, and I'm not trying to like make my story more titillating. It's just an is and what it was. Right. And it meant something to me. And I made decisions based upon, you know, I mean, I, I also walked out of the Sunset Marquee one day and went, this relationship is over. I chose for the relationship to be over. And and my marriage probably, my marriage probably should never have been, my first marriage should probably have never have been to begin with. And I'm grateful for the time I had with that person. Um, but I also know that, um, what my wants were, it was like, I was responsible for him and me and establishing and creating our relation and our careers. And it was a lot for a young struggling artist who owned, and now, to, now I've got, um, somebody nearing that. 
who didn't pull their weight and all. so so now I've got this you know world-renowned well-known well-off human being who wants to be with me and wants to marry me and I'm already married and would have offered me the world and I you know had to make decisions that you can't make fast enough and live through and opportunity you know there are many many opportunities that it's probably better for you to sidestep oh <laughs> in, in some 100%. ways um i wish i had sidestepped a lot of things back then and and yeah you know acknowledge them as being part of your part of your history i do want to do a to a plug if you'll allow me Please plug. one is gary gasford gasford studios if you're ever in the lakeland area um artists if you want to take a class look up gasford that's G-E-S-S-F-O-R-D Studios. Um, I'm sure he's still teaching. Um, and he's phenomenal. And you'll you will get something out of uh, even if it's just one session. Um and that that was uh, you know one of my mentors. Mm -hmm. Um the other is if you're ever up in the Russian River area, Ooh. Timberline, Timberline Restaurant. Mm. Uh, too tall, when you mentioned uh, someone being tall, yeah, too yeah. tall Larry, Ooh. it's all seven feet of him. Uh, he makes soaps and he ended up, he was in Palm Springs, and he ended up in Timberline uh, uh, in Russian River with this restaurant and I, I'm, on, I, I'm on his Facebook page and I keep seeing the menu and I keep going, I should drive up there just, just for what they're doing. Well, up there. how far is the drive? Uh, uh, it's almost to San Francisco. I okay, mean, it's, it's so up five there. or six hours from yeah. here. Yeah, Russian River from here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd be, uh, this is the reason I haven't done it. If it were three hours, it was two hours. It's nothing. You would have been, get, yeah. get in the car to go to, uh, Palm Springs. Right. I can go to Palm Springs, enjoy myself, turn around and come back. Correct. Or just get a, a motel over there. Yeah. For, uh, sure. for the night. And I've done that. Or even recently I, I've done that. So I'm I'm getting back out again. I um, you know, we've all been quarantined, you know. Well, this <laughs> is no, I know. I was no, I, I was in Palm Springs every week because my mom was out there and my brother and sister-in-law built a home out there. And so I felt like I was, you know, I was spending lots of time out there until the pandemic because mm -hmm. our mom passed away two weeks before the country shut down on, on mm -hmm. March of 2020. And I've not been back since. And it's funny you should mention that simply because I keep thinking, you know, it's time to start venturing out and going visit because we haven't seen my brother and sister in since the country shut down oh. we have not seen them in person and um because palm springs was you know it, palm springs is a global community and people were coming in from all over uh, when the pandemic started and and even if people were honoring the pandemic they were still socializing they were isolating in their social bubbles and for us, we weren't doing any socializing yeah. because we had to be really, really smart about when the entertainment industry reopened. This is why we're doing this in a mask, not because we 
not because of the entertainment industry, but because we want to respect each other because people sadly still are getting sick. We're in a close proximity. Why not? Because we live our lives in many different environments and I have to be tested for my film work and no reason for either one of us to take a chance chance with each other out of respect and love. Um, But, you know, due to that, Due to all those other reasons, we haven't, I mean, I've only, we've only seen, I've seen my sister twice, Andrea, who went to Wayland, twice up in Berks, uh, Berkeley, but uh, again, like, and I like always, pretty much always had a mask on, and which sounds really nutty because I'm not like that kind of yeah, I'm not bubble that, person. I'm not <laughs> that paranoid when I'm outside, yeah. just doing my normal things but when I start going when I go inside I'm aware there are other people dealing with it more than I and it was just a I don't mind you yeah know, it, it's not a political statement no whereas it seems to be for some people I'm I'll do it well you know it's interesting I, I I've repeated this and I'm going to say it on this for what it's worth but Recently, I saw Children's Hospital of L.A. I think it was a campaign that they were running. And they they were they were basically stating that we've been wearing masks and gloves forever. Why? Because we want to protect the well-being of these children who have all of these diseases or things that they're working through. And in order to keep them safe, we stay masked and gloved. This is what we do in medicine. So when a mask came along with the pandemic and all of a sudden became politicized and became all these things like, I don't want to be a, well, this is not a big deal if we don't make it a big deal. Unfortunately, I think our country and, you know, I'm going to just say our country and I don't want to make a political statement because this is not where I'm coming from. I come from a science mind. I come from a science background. And I had gloves and masks in my makeup kits before the pandemic occurred. Yeah. And I've also told the story that it just so happens that somebody I was working with at the time, not but within a month or two before the country shut down, who came to work on a Monday morning so virally ill. And she and I took care of number one on the show. We were his, his personals. And I looked at her so really kind of alarm like what are you doing here like you're super super sick and it's super apparent and you were dealing with number one and this will be like wildfire if we expose him and that's a big deal now what do I do I immediately go to my drawer and I get a K95 mask and gloves now this is before people were even using the term K95 and I put it on and you know what happened the entire trailer looked at me and rolled their eyes. Like, what are you, what are you doing? What? I can honestly say that dating Lori yeah. in 1980. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and her, I, I was dating her through through the church. You know, the church women got us together. Yeah, yeah. And she was smart. We got together. So I was, I went on, you know, trip, field trips and everything. And that was really what we were doing a lot. Well, after she had the cancer, mm-hmm. um, I, oh, that's good. No, it's okay. You know, it's interesting. Um, well, oh, we're talking about she saved me because I knew 
once she had the cancer mm-hmm. and she had the chemo, and she told me that her ovaries had been fried, yeah, so yeah, she couldn't yeah, get yeah. pregnant. Yeah, yeah. But then also, I'm susceptible to any disease. Right. You know, right. it's kind of like, well, don't go kissing anyone else because I'm going to find out right. because it's going to kill me. Right. Kind of thing. Right. And I was like, kissing who? You're right. Why would I be kissing anyone else? Why would I be saying that? But that that was kind of the understanding that, and this was in 80, yeah. 81. So 82, 83. So when my dad kind of came to me concerned about this, I was like, well, I'm still, you know, uh dating Lori. I mean, mm-hmm. aside from her, there really is no one else. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was satisfied with that answer. Mm-hmm. It may not have been strictly accurate because you know You're gary was kissing. right around right gary is going to be right around the corner right um but it as soon as we established gary she was safe to be with whatever but because i already had that mentality you know i wasn't i wasn't out there exchanging any fluids yeah yeah so finally by 1987 i find out it's a fluid exchange yes you can't breathe in hiv yeah um because i was concerned and and getting that first test you know with a death sentence for everyone involved yeah the, the the mere fact that they could call it that someone could come up with the term gay cancer is so insidious it is you know because it has nothing to do no with homosexuality no not at all matter of fact one of one of my old my oldest makeup artist friends in the business mom died from a blood transfusion early early on she was i think the first person i could be wrong about that but i believe that's how he put it where, you know, this had nothing to do with anything. It was, you know, a blood transfusion and that's how she died. But it was from yeah. the AIDS, all of the stuff at the time. And it was yeah. just one of those things where it was like, no, this isn't. It's kind of like, sadly, what, you know, coming forward with monkeypox and trying to. It was like, I remember waking up one morning and my husband and I being like, you cannot be serious right now that we're going to attach something and, and linger and create a guy, a phenomenon or a, or a label to something that we're, we're going to do. Like it's as if you're repeating history. Why do people do that shit? Well, no, it's, it's a way of creating a slur. Yeah. I mean, it, it would be, it would be like calling it the Jane Goodall disease. Yeah, no question. You know, because it's associated it's, with monkey. It, no, it, I know. There is no possible way of of connecting the two other than the first initial cases happen to be um happen to be associated with the gay community. Yeah, no, it's called ignorance and let, let's face it, it's science. It's science, and then it's exposure, and it's, you know, how is that exposure being traced? And it's very logical. <laughs> yeah. you, can't, you can't take logical science. You can, you can philosophize so the cows come home, but at the end yeah. of the day. And so this kind of, you know, brings us full circle. It's like, yeah. um, you know, the us meeting each other in, this, in the late 70s, and your ability to come out and you're becoming an artist 
and you're coming to LA mm -hmm. um, eventually led you to connecting with Richard. Mm -hmm. Richard. Not Richard. Um, Michael. Michael. Yeah, my Michael. Oh, yeah. And Michael was. My Michael Stevenson, which, which ran LA Art Box. And if yeah. I was going to do a plug now, I would. LA Art Box. I would be plugging it. And um, it was a frame studio, international, uh, high quality frame studio ran out, ran out of uh, LA. Um, and he was not well when I met him. He'd Did had, you know that? Um, I, I met him through church. Um, so over, everybody you've met through church. Oh gosh, yeah, I love churches. That's where you meet people. So fascinating. That's, that's where you meet your well, mates. Well, it, it is where you meet your mates. It's funny though, because you know, being a gay man, it's yeah. like church has a lot of oh, a lot of many many churches have issues with being gay. And, and there are all sorts of churches out there. So and there's all sorts of churches. <laughs> there are all sorts of institutions. Well, let, let's well, what it is, yeah. there's some true, sure a, yeah. a lot of hypocrisy where a lot of stuff is going on, where there's a lot yeah. of hypocrisy. Yeah, Michael Stevenson, I work with him. I don't know uh, I, I just know. Richard, by the way. That's that what cracks me up. Okay. <laughs> Serendipitously, Richard was his lover's name. Oh, well, see, that's <laughs> what I'm picking up on, people. And, and I, you know, oddly enough, I'm not sure whether he's still alive or dead because he's completely oh, wow. out of my life. But that, yeah, isn't that interesting? Because, you know, th this is the thing about gay men or uh, men, people that choose my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, we're we're pick picking and choosing family members. It's not by blood. Yeah. Whereas where my, my uh, the Newtons, yeah. it was all you either married into it or you you know it, i had a cousin come meet me three months ago my it's my dad's brother's middle maybe it's the youngest i can't remember anyway these these guys are five or six years younger than me and I, i'd never met him before wow or if i'd met him i was you know a yeah, baby yeah, yeah. you know i mean he, he literally he looked me up he, he said we're coming into town uh, you know, I'd like to catch up with you, see your mom. And uh, I said, sure. And I dropped everything to do this at the busiest. I mean, the, the craziest time in my life. Um, I, I've got a, a man staying with me who's with cancer. And so he's doing fine. He's in remission. But he's been there in my guest bedroom for two years. And there's a band. Oh, I'll do another plug. There is a band called Small World World Band, Canada. Look that one up. Steve Tustin. So Steve Tustin is driving. That's what, that was the interview I sent you. Or yes. not the interview, but he, you know, on there's the Ray Carr show. You know, those people in the know with music, radio, whatever, know who Ray Carr is. And I don't. You know, I'm not going to name drop. I can't think of all these guys' names. But Ray has this radio show, and his mentor and whoever got him started is a, a well-known guitar player. So and Steve Tustin is running a band you know, with guitar and everything. And I'm not in the business. I'm not. I, all I offer to do is to host them 
Um, and they're going to stay in a motel, a hotel somewhere. Well, on the ride from point A to point B out here, mm -hmm. the, one of the guys, um, Mike Cunningham, okay. the guitarist, Mike Cunningham, dies. Oh, my God. Just doesn't wake up or wow. he's a, whatever, dies. And Steve Tustin is still planning to come out here. This is part of the route is going back. So I offer, you know, well, th that's ridiculous. If he's in grieving, if he was really close with this guy or whatever, he had to spend an extra 20 hours with police or whatever, yeah. because they're in a different state. Yeah. Oh, Finding okay. whatever you have to go through when you have to deal with that. So he had to make all sorts of arrangements. I'm like, oh, why don't you just stay here? Because he and uh, Scott Baker, who's the cancer uh, survivor, right, yeah, the staying, with, staying with me, they're going to write some songs. Okay. You know, or work out some. And I'm like, well, this is ridiculous for me to be driving back and forth. Why don't you just do it here? And they were all set up, and uh, they they spent a week doing doing some um, some creative stuff. So that you know, I I'm like, well, I, I get to help that when if the album ever comes out or the songs come out or whatever. I'm like, what? I I was the first person to hear them come up with that lyric. It feels very much like how you were at Wayland. Uh, you know, I'm like, there's something thrilling. There's there's this effervescence. This you know, there's a life to it. And when you know, don't do it if you don't want to do it. But if you're into it and you can, you know, I I stood there. You know, for a whole week, you know, and you know, kind of hosted them. We did drive around. We got out to the pier and everything. But they spent, you know, huge chunks of time, uh, you know, working working on songs. But you also said something: how the gay community builds their own families through these connections. Right. And not all of them are gay. You know, we'll we'll, cho we'll choose a straight guy, yeah, or, or a straight woman, or you know. Well, yeah, and but. <laughs> But, but it's, it's an because they become family. Yeah, and it's an interesting phenomenon how different it's it's like a different culture, basically, mm -hmm. of how you culture your or it cultivate is. your culture and um or cultivate of culture, I should say. And it's interesting because no, not everybody would house people that aren't related or would cost them or you know because unless you're a foundation or you're a nonprofit or no, uh, sincerely well, Wyndon sincerely he, he, he was he was great well first I offered the invitation he didn't know anything about me mm -hmm. other than maybe what Scott would have mentioned mm -hmm. and uh you know it it works and and, and it's a and now it's a little sliver of something and something may come of it. They may actually right. use the songs right, right, in an right. album. Right, right, right. So, you know, that that was me. That that was me. Well, and and now with Michael, you connected with Michael and you were with Michael for how long? Seven years. Well, I knew Michael for three years prior. And he had he had a mate. He had he had, he had a Richard. Uh, uh, by this time Richard had been gone. Okay. Richard's still alive, but he had been right, gone. Right. 
and he was uh, there was another one. I can't remember his name. Anyway, that's but uh, Freudian blockage. Um, he and this other one, they they own property together. So I was well aware that you don't step in and break up a partnership. Right. Well, when uh, it was obvious that the partnership was breaking up. I wasn't laughing at those. <laughs> <myself>. <laughs> no, this is where I'm going. Where I'm going is humorous. The one who, you it, know, has because had extra I there. literally approached, I mean, I'd known him through church. No, it's the same thing with the kiss with Gary. Okay, so there's this buff, gorgeous man and his partner. And I'd go up. And who's also buff and weird, the two weightlifters. This is very, very LA. Yeah. You know, wealthy men with steroids. Yeah. You know, I mean, they uh, that are working on their yeah. physiques. Uh, physiques. So, anyway, I couldn't wait to get to church to once a week to give a big bear hug and get one back from these two guys. Equally loved them both. And, you know, we, and eventually when they, finished their house up in the hills, um, Hollywood Hill area, uh, with, with a view of the Hollywood sign, you know, and Griffith Park, we were invited to their opening and I gave them a gift, uh, a housewarming gift of one of my artworks and everything. And within six months, their situation was falling apart mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Um, uh, Michael, they said, was not well. He had back surgery and something around his heart. It was a 12-hour operation. It's, it's in, in the books. It's actually a clinical event because there were like four surgeons involved. And he survived it. So it turns out that his partner couldn't deal with uh, Michael in this state, as well as I guess Michael was planning. Yeah. So they had separated the house. They weren't helping each other. And the other one flew off to Rome wow. for a period of time because he was in the seminary and was kind of that way. I guess he was getting a blessing from the Pope or something. Yeah, I guess. See what this one I'm talking about. Well, <laughs> I stepped in to, you know. I said, well, your, your buddy's gone. Well, can I help? And he said, well, I, uh, I don't know. I've got frame shop. You need any framing? You know, well, I've I ran an international frame shop. I was like, going, I can help you finish your framing. Um, our, our initial contract was for me to uh, buy his truck, actually to buy his Firebird. The vintage fire. <laughs> yes. And like, I, I don't always see myself in these, in these situations, but I was like, I need a vehicle. I can afford it. I've, got, I've stocked up all this money. I'll buy it from you. And uh, he was wavering back. But it's the weirdest thing. It was like, we had this partial contract where I would get one of the vehicles, but he couldn't decide whether it was the Toyota Tundra or whether it was the other truck. What he really wanted was a chauffeur. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, well, I have already been a personal assistant slash I, I was really trained to be what, what uh, 
Michael Goss, my personal assistant job was personal assistant slash white butler. They, you know, that's really you're, what it you're like the you're, you're the CEO of the household. Yeah. So I'd already been, I was in gear for that. So, and I like, I liked, uh, I really liked Michael. So I was like willing to leave my other situation. Well, it'd been three and a half years, personal assisting. And uh, Michael Goss was dying. Mm-hmm. I had gone from personal assistant, white butler, crashing Hollywood parties that he didn't want to go to, to uh, uh, nurse maid, basically. I, I was injecting experimental drugs and sleeping over at uh, Cedar sinai for a month with a little cot to, you know, I mean, all of a sudden you realize you, you've said yes, but you didn't realize what you were going to say yes to. So I used myself suddenly out of that situation and moved in with Michael Stevenson after he had it out with his partner. And I said, no problem. I can, I can do this with you. I'll take you to uh, all of these things you need to be taken to. And I got a vehicle out of it. And a fantastic partner, a LA Art Box. I said, I'll, I'll take on LA Art Box, um, which by the way, I've had to shut down because when he died, there were all sorts of legal issues and all. So I, I've shut down the frame shop but kept the, the small stuff. But there are literally people turn a great framing frames over. And, the, and there's this thing that says Michael Stevenson, LA Art Box, in big silver, silver things. And he, he ran that for, you know, 20 years. That would have been a great years. business that he must have had out there. Yes, but... There was no uh, lots of inventory in garages at a uh, uh, you know the Landale Apartments. You know he didn't have a storefront. He it was all very uh, who is it? His mentor, you know, because it's really all about mentoring. Um, Beto Bolanik. His mentor ran Artan framing mm. in Sherman Oaks. Mm-hmm. That was the go-to framing for Goldie Hawn and was Taylor and any other names I want to draw. So I have all of these photographs from Beto. Beto has since passed away. And Michael inherited all of this stuff. Uh, and we picked it up. So I literally... Oh, Beto, thank you so much for framing this. Frame this. You're the best. Well, Michael, my Michael, was assisting Beto in the 70s. You know, he was actually doing the framing. And Beto was up front, you know, meeting all these people and taking photographs with them and whatever. So this is, this is how it's done. You know, Michael didn't. And Michael looked as straight as could be. You know, there's nothing effeminate about it. So I, I, I was with him for seven years. 
you know, I knew him for three years. I was respectful distance while, while he was still with the other guy. And then I waited for that moment that I could just wheedle my way in. And uh, then I thought I could keep my wife forever. And I talked that way. I acted like I owned that property. Well, I did. He, he said, you know, this can all be yours when I'm gone. And I said, yeah, but I don't want it. I, I'm going to keep you alive. And every time he had a stroke or something, I was right there in the hospital with him. And uh, finally, one day, the stroke uh, hit me, stopped breathing, and his breather kept breathing. I didn't hear that he had stopped breathing. He had sleep apnea. So, you know, I wake up and, you know, the, with the spittle and everything, and I dial 911, and he'd already told me what to do with 911. He said, well, first you have to move the truck out of the way so they can get up here and roll up that really expensive carpet you know <laughs> so that so that they don't track mud in and you can't i can't they can't get me up the inside steps so they have to bring them down the sides the right jesus that yeah. couldn't have been he easy. had thought the whole thing out yeah because so strategic that place it took six men to carry him out holy moly and uh, he was in kind of this stasis. Well, it's coming up. The anniversary of his coma is September 29th. I don't even hold the dates. Yeah, yeah, 20, yeah, yeah. It's 27th, 29th. It's coming up. And pretty soon I'll wear black all through the 11th. And he mm -hmm. decided, uh, died on the October 11th, I think. Uh, you know, this is what. It's all blurred to me. I'm yeah. kind of I'm going through the motions just to try to keep his memory alive. And that's the other reason for doing this. And who cares about the details? I mean, there is a death certificate and there. I have a book of uh I used to carry a sketchbook around. I, I don't do it with names, dates, all that, you know, delicious information that people would want that was current, but I had to be real careful because you know. Some of these people are known, and yeah. you know that was the one thing I worked for for Michael Goss, uh, the big black guy. I was going to say worked, that we. I worked. Have, like, I worked for okay. him. He never had me sign a. Uh, what what is that? An NDA. What is that? How do uh, an NDA? And then a non-disclosure, right? Yeah. He, he, you know, but that's and uh, and I was never going to kiss and tell. You know, but there was also, I mean, I'm not saying that NDAs didn't exist. I think NDAs have become so much more of a norm today yeah. because, again, people have access to people. Like this morning, I was listening to the news about another very famous uh, musician performer who, whether they did or didn't step over the line, is now, you know, their marriage and all sorts of things is up yeah. for, for grabs potentially because of what's come out. Again, it's like, you know, protection, NDAs, all these things. You know, I just revealed something on this podcast that, you know, I've never revealed. And it's one of those things where it's not that I've never revealed really? not on this podcast. And it's like, whether two people or two million people hear this, yes, don't come challenging me, blah, 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 like all the things. Oh, well, like, I should have clarified. Nothing I say today is true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not willing, I'm not willing to die for it. 
Yeah, We're having a conversation. This is called entertainment. Yeah. This is the reason movies are not documentaries and even documentaries are, you know, this is to entertain you. Yeah. And and these are two people that you have, you know, you love Felicia and she's bringing on someone else you potentially may love or hate or whatever. Well, you've just been a flan along listening to this conversation. It's got to be some, not because I'm an egotistical person saying this, I think that. If I were sitting back and listening, I'd be like, yeah, I love listening to these few people who enjoy conversing with each other. Right. Like literally that to the core to me is how this is entertaining yeah. because we get to reminisce and talk and document like whether it's true or not. A little bit of going back to why Wyndon and I agreed to do this with one another because of the mere fact that he did you did want to document some very important facets there there were four or five points but you know of course you know all the men in my life and all the women i didn't go into gene ewing one you know i mean i have these people who you know i'm I'm looking at 80 percent of them have died yeah you know really i if i was going to name drop you know pretty soon those names will die out because no mm-hmm. one's using them anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I there was a there was a fashion designer uh, known for sportswear, and she uh, there are stories about her riding up and down uh, Sunset Boulevard with her. It was a black model that uh, in the seventies, and they would literally be handing out champagne mm-hmm. to people. You know, I mean, in a in an open air sports car. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Jane Ewing, uh, her clothes are still, they don't fade. Yeah. If you do what you, the dyes she uses are probably toxic and have, <laughs> you know, destroyed whole nations. But if you, do, if you do what she says, and they, they're like 12 labels. I've never seen so many labels. Wow. Yeah, you know, they, it's like oh, just label after label, like instructions on how to and two or three different yeah, languages, yeah, yeah. and cold only cold water. Yeah, She's like, don't even use you don't even use soap. She's yeah. like, just it's put soak it in cold water, yeah. and and it doesn't fade. And they, you know, but and that's you, why that's if you want to pay a hundred dollars for a t-shirt. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but I've got two or three of them, and I I took care of her towards the end of her life in my art studio because I did again the same thing she someone embezzled and, and walked off with her fortune or she drank it all I mean she probably you know however it is you see someone like that and you're like going that person shouldn't be on the street you know ever and if you've got a, a guest bedroom or something you know you scoop them up and help them out for six months or a year or whatever and this is what I'm doing with Butch because again, uh, Butch Scott Baker, uh, there, it, you know, this this is the humane thing to do. This is the human thing. We, if you, if you can do it, if you can assist someone else, um, you know, go out of your way. I had a, I had an art studio, my vanity art studio, that I realized. Oh my gosh. I, you know, I rolled the hospital bed in and put her in it, and the nurses came, and and I put Butch in the back room when to watch her because I wasn't living there, and uh, 
you know, until she pulled her act together. She was with me for about 18 months or a year. Maybe you were 18 months somewhere there. And would you believe it? She, she ended up back in Ocean... Oceanside? Oceanside. The, the Ocean Apartments, the big oh. condos that oh, look yeah, out yeah, onto yeah, the, yeah. you know, the, there's like these two towers. She was there for a year before she got kicked out of that one because she ran out of money. And I took her back in. And then um, she ended up at Fireside, you know, and I, she'd still be alive today if I were meeting with her every week, rolling her down, I'd roll her out in her wheelchair and she would hold her legs up and, and we would go right around the corner was a, a class A five-star hotel and we'd have lunch. And I've, got, I've got pictures of her drinking her soup. Uh, and, and her gravelly voice, and she had, she had stories, and you know, she had great, great stories. And you know, again, none of them were true as far as I was concerned. I mean, the two Jackson Pollocks that got burned in a fire, and all of this were all part of the illusion. It oh just, wow, that's so crazy! Uh, you know, Chanel, you know, working with Chanel, knows. I mean, she may have right. been there with Lagerfeld or. You know, isn't it fascinating though? See, I think working in delusion and illusion, I, the last thing I want to do in my own life, world, and this platform is be delusional or illusional. I want to be so organic and authentic that people feel safe and feel yeah. like there's a place that they really can go. What what what's me? What's meaningful? What's purposeful? Right. Is this conversation meaningful and purposeful? Well, it's nourishing for me. Well, and, and to the point, it's, there's some real, so it's interesting because you and I have been raised in very different ways. You and I came from very different backgrounds, um, but, but that doesn't mean that we're different. It's interesting because having both as children won these awards, you made a recent comment to me about who normally wins these awards, and I was kind of taken aback by it because I didn't fit into that category of being a legacy uh, individual where my family had given money or my family had given them service by being an, an administrator or any of those things. Like I literally like was this rogue kid that came in and simply because of the uh, gastric amount of things that I was engaged with at Wayland when they literally were reading off the list of things when, when Mr. Berman was reading it off, it was like, alumni service it sounds so service award yeah so to the point like i i don't know that i've ever consciously done anything since i mean even if i've spoken or been highlighted or whatever but it was interesting because you know being a kid who had come from a family who had lost most everything versus being a kid whose family gave over a million dollars to the school I love that. And even though it was a mystery to you at the time of that time of life, you knew that there was something, something. in the water. It was, I knew there was history. I just didn't know what, yeah. what and, the details were. Whereas I knew all the details about my family's shit mm -hmm. because I was right in the middle of it. And that is also not, I'm not saying you didn't. I'm just saying that. No, I think my mom was protecting me. My mom realized you know, after she got married and everything into this family, mm -hmm. you know, the turmoil in a family with money mm -hmm. is 
so destructive mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. if they can't like hold it together. Mm-hmm. And she saw that, you know, this faction isn't getting along with that faction and everything. And then she had her own family mm-hmm. that she was going to protect me from mm-hmm. because the Latins are, you know, <laughs> that side of, let's put it this way, the, the Latins conscious uh, reality is so askew from the way my dad was bringing me up. Mm. You know, because my dad was, you know, very, there was not a whole lot of fantasy. Yeah. It's like, you know, when did it happen? Where did it happen? Accountability. Yeah, accountability, integrity. Yeah. Um, And that's what I relate to you about. um, And the thing is, and I'm not that way all the time. Nobody it's, is. You know, I'm not going to pretend. I'm like, I'm not going to Well, you know, and, and it's how you handle that with the people around you. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've always told people up front, I've always had a lover. You know, that I, call, I call them my mentors because there's always going to be someone that's not you. Right. You know, because you will not, you know, anyone who says that they want to be my everything is like, oh, okay, that's enough. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I don't think any one person, well, first, you don't want that. The yeah. few times it has happened when they're gone, I'm devastated. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, I, I, about a week before Michael died, uh, before he went into the coma, I remember going to see. Michael had a, a blowout on the phone with his attorney. Mm. And, uh, you know, for some reason, and hung up. And he turned to me and said, I'm not going to lunch with you and your folks, which we did every Sunday or whatever day it was. Uh, he and I would always go to my parents, who were 15 minutes away from yeah. us, for lunch. And he said, I'm not going to go. And I said, okay, fine. Well, I'll. I'll go and I'll come back. And I remember my parents thought it was odd. And I remember thinking, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do without Michael. But, you know, the, the, the mini strokes, the, he's in a lot of pain. You know, he doesn't want to take the pain medication. He doesn't want to get addicted to the, Understood. What, what are those? The oxycodones. Or yeah, oxycodone. yeah, whatever they were calling him at the time. He was allowed six Oof. a day. Oof. You know, you're never, you're never sober. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so his hands were shaking like this. He couldn't he couldn't do the framing. He couldn't do the stuff. If, and it's Michael who had the collections, right? Yeah. How did that that collection like how did that whole part of his life? What was so the framing business, but how did all those collections come into he, play? His mentor, the Beto Bolanic and he traveled the world. So this he, he saw you know, it's a like museum. the Ming Dynasty kind of a collection. Well, the thing is, he was aware of those things. In the 80s, 70s and 80s, a lot of these things you could get at garage sales. Unbelievable. You know, yeah, yeah, here the 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 $3 million Ming bowl or you know, song dynasty whatever that the, the dog's been eating out of jesus right and did when i saw you that collection 
Let me just say for the record, it's like you, you think you're walking into this really cool, modern, been around in the hills of Pasadena for however long, but it's just, you know, many levels built into the hill. And then you realize you're being brought into certain spaces that you just walked into a museum of a collection. It's a 1963 uh, Pugsley mm -hmm. designer home um, and that has been re, redone because the foundation was giving away. So sometime in the 80s, Michael shored it up. So it doesn't have the original profile, but the interior has a lot of the same elements. It's got this floating stairway and everything. Super, super great. Like the kind of lines and designs that I really align with. But then all of a sudden you walk yeah. in and then there's this, like I said, Ming Dynasty yeah. kind of collection. The Pacific Asia Museum, uh, whatever her name was. I can't remember. Anyway, Pacific Asia Museum uh, had a lot of the Asians associated with it from the turn of the century. And Grace Nicholson collected, first she collected Amer American, Native American baskets, and she'd buy them for a nickel and mm -hmm. sell them for a dollar. This is in the 20s, mm -hmm. uh, 30s, uh, to the Pasadena women. So if you can get one of those baskets, they're worth a fortune. And then she switched over to uh, Chinese, uh, antique Chinese things. So that collection is amazing. Well, Michael, uh, Betty Green, oh, I have to tell this story. Betty Green, whenever we did uh, a tour of the house for the docents at the Pacific Asian Museum, Michael would start out by saying, Betty Green bought me this house. <laughs> Just like that, because Betty Green was uh, she ran the bookstore okay. and had this incredible collection of stuff. Okay. Well, uh, she liked Michael a lot. Mm -hmm. And she said, you should, oh, when you asked, you should work for yourself. Mm -hmm. And you should be, you, know, don't, you shouldn't be working for Beto. Mm -hmm. You should have your own frame studio mm -hmm. because then you get 100% of the problem. Right. So she, she's leading <laughs> away. And um, so, and and in a way, she kind of promised, and I'll make sure that you get clients. So whenever someone came in, she would give them a your Michael net, Stevenson. Your network is your net worth. <laughs> a Michael Stevenson. Oh, if you need any framing done here, LA art wow. box and everything. Well, after about a year or two of this, she uh, she says, oh, come out to the, the you know, the bookstore. I've got something I want to show you. And there are these two uh, yellow glass imperial bowls um and uh and he said they're only five thousand dollars and he's like i can't afford them and she's like you can't afford not to buy them yeah exactly. so he buys the two bowls they're the only two bowls that i won't sell because he said don't sell them all the other glass that he acquired over the years he sold for like Three hundred thousand. Insane. Uh, yeah, he. I mean, he probably purchased it for under eighty thousand, and then sold for three hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But that's the kind of thing he knew the value of something because yeah. he, it, he had been trained by mm -hmm. someone else. Because now there's a lot of 
forgeries. There's a they can they, they can reproduce yeah. they can reproduce the glass yeah. up to a certain date. Yeah. They could yeah. or they hadn't. Yeah. So if you acquired something with a history and yeah. you knew there was a um uh catalog or something mm -hmm. that had that object mm -hmm. in it and you could date it, you know, that's the whole thing of the industry now is really just oh it's falling apart completely well you know this is interesting segue for, for the mere reason of you know what i want to say on our, on our second uh, our, our nearly second half of our third hour of conversation oh no really yeah. oh my god Sincerely, we are, we are about to our last 20 oh, minutes of okay. our third hour I want to say that as my peer, mm -hmm. as a peer, as a so a loving my, peer, a loving peer, an art, an art, an artist, uh, as well as we both became and are, um, our authentic organic connection. Your fascinating life with these many individuals who have mentored you and brought you forth and set you on your path and your family history and your education and life and love and all the things and um you know and being true to you versus being fraud uh, like a fraud which we're talking about with the gardens our world is what we were talking about leaning into because the art world has just become just riddled with mm -hmm. that as a human being as a person who's always had such a huge heart and light and sadly losing 80 percent of the people that you've known and what have you and where you're at in your life having lost now your father and your mother still alive and the legacy that you want to leave and who and how you want to be remembered and where you want and what do you want to like create going forward what do you have any vision of that? Do you um, have things what you want to share? I have set up my dad with the dementia. You know, when I when I realized my dad, my parents came out here, followed me out here after I'd been here for you know 10, 15 years. And Michael helped set them up. I mean, he literally, I, I went with my, my my Michael to Florida. And I don't think we spent that much time with my folks, but I did go back to Gary mm -hmm. to load some stuff up. It couldn't have been more than five hours, but in that five hours, Michael and my parents had a really serious discussion. Wow. And during that time, Michael said, well, why don't you come out to California and live with us? Mm -hmm. Which my parents were never going to do because mm -hmm. we promised each other. I mean, I'm never going to drop the grandchildren off to the, well, to my parents to, to uh, raise, you know, that was an understanding. And I'm never coming back mm -hmm. to live with my parents mm -hmm. and they will never mm -hmm. come back to live with me. It's mm -hmm. like, you figure it out another way. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we have, we did what we were going to do and mm -hmm. now you move on this way. Mm -hmm. There's no backwater. There's no response. You could, and then they'll, they'll caveat it. Well, you can always come home, but that's not the plan. Yeah, you know, yeah that's yeah, not yeah. the plan. Yeah. So anyway, during this time, my it's obvious to my mom that dad is dealing with dementia, mm -hmm. and 
up, up to the end, my dad recognized me uh, as Wyndon. Mm-hmm. He called me by name. A couple of times, uh, Jeff, my, my previous partner, Jeff Knapp, uh, was called George, which is my dad's brother's name. Okay. Um, so there, there was that, that kind of breakdown. Anyway, they moved up, they ended up moving out here. And Michael had helped, look, we, we both found different places mm-hmm. to give them the brochures. And from those brochures, the one I, I picked, my parents chose, they, the one that I liked best, which was out uh, the gardens, uh, was, um, it's Westminster Gardens. And, and it's got the view of the mountains and there's a pond and all of these trees, you know, uh, trees that were, that were brought in by the, the uh, monks or the ministers. I think it was a Baptist or Methodist ministry retirement home. No, Presbyterian, Presbyterian. It, apparently the Presbyterians during the turn of the century had not made arrangements for the Presbyterian ministers in China. Oh, true. So when they came back, they had no place to retire. Interesting. So leave it to some Chinese man with property Classic. to build a kind of retirement space yeah, yeah. with a library and whatever. Uh, which is now the retirement home called uh, Westminster Gardens. So I can do the plug for Westminster Gardens and Duarte, right off the metro line. I so, mean, for for so as well yeah. because of legacy, you know, there's right. a lot of people who are put in the position like yourself, as we were, where sometimes these homes have to be. Uh, found for our parents or created for our parents. Well, they they found it a decade before they needed it yeah. because my parents moved in uh, April 1st of 2011. And my Michael dies six months later. I can't believe it's gone So my, my Michael gave me the gift of my parents because they never would have Wow, so Michael died October 11th, and that's so fascinating. I was like, why didn't I really gather how that was all going down? Well, that's because that October 2011, I was going to my second bout of thyroid cancer and then kind of went into my own isolation the rest of that year. Although you did do the art show because within a couple of weeks after Michael you died, guys, yeah, yeah, we yeah. saw each other at an art show. Yeah. And I must have, got, I don't know why I had the With invitation. With my sculptures? Yeah. So I, I got to see you and that's when I told you because I, I don't know whether you, did you come out to the house after or before? You well, never met Michael. You, no, I did. You, you met Michael? Yeah. Okay, With so you, you came out to the house before. So yeah. of course I was going to tell you well, by the way, uh, you remember Michael? Yeah. He died. I met him more than once. Yeah, exactly. So, and, you know, he could be aloof with people he didn't, you know, know well. And he was really respectful to uh, my my friends, although we did crash several parties, uh, one several Wayland events, because uh. there are Wayland events. And and he always sticks up because he always has a bright Hawaiian shirt, which is not a whaling thing to do typically. 
So there's there are the pictures of all these whalenites. And of course, once you've if, if it's been 30 or 40 years, you, you want to treat everyone like they're you know people you went to school with because you don't want to embarrass yourself or them or anything until you find out, oh no, you're one of the spouse. They should have t-shirts that say spouse of. Right. The spouse of whalenite. No, I know Michael attended a couple of the yeah. that I had been to, I'm right. pretty sure. Well, from 2006 on, mm -hmm. um, every time they came to uh, Los Angeles, right. I brought Michael. Yeah, no, so I remember. There, there were a lot of times. So, yeah, of course, you would have noticed him. And then at some point, you... Uh, did he come over here when I we had a gathering? I came over. You yeah. oh yeah, I remember you said he did not come. I, I came on my own because there was no reason for him to come to a wayland event like that. It was really for us. It, I mean, even your husband barely made an appearance. Oh please, yeah, well, that's that's fairly normal. Um, but I mean, but he works. He works all the time. Let me yeah. just preface it. So, oh. so it's like. But I want to get back to just like tying this all up while we're recording and just say like what, you know, I don't know what your vision of was if you had a vision of how you wanted your life to unfold, like from the time you're a little boy at Wayland and then becoming, you know, a quote unquote adult man. Like did your life, as you know it up till now, become, could you have ever imagined what it has become and how this path? No, and so it's a very interesting lesson to be shared because my personal reason for this, Wyndon, is I'm always fascinated by friends like yourself who have led this very individual path of life and have, have, have done well for yourself, have lived a full rich life that that doesn't always apply to finances solely it's it's so many more layers to that onion mm -hmm. and I think my point to that is you know being that you've created this path that you could never have imagined painting so to speak where do you see yourself? What, like, what haven't you done, or what would you like to do going forward that you hope to be able to be as part of your legacy or part of your life experience or a combination of what you get to leave behind? Because that, that's a beautiful question. Um, because I don't know. I, I literally, it feels like Forrest Gump. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know why I was so fortunate. That every and, and I've made really bad decisions, very expensive decisions. Very, I have lost a lot of money, <laughs> and at the same time, I've uh, or I've in, made bad investments. But at the same time, I, I always seem to be above water, mm -hmm. so I don't feel like I'm drowning. Mm -hmm. um, even even the transition. Well, if the transition from Lakeland out here, mm -hmm. nobody believed I'd make it. Mm -hmm. I mean, so many people fail. So many people get into drugs, you know, and I was fortunate enough to have a $70,000 uh, cushion, but I didn't get that money the first year I was here because my he didn't buy me out until the next year. So I was out here literally... And so I was still paying my my mortgage, you know, the, the $500 part of the mortgage. Um, 
or any other expenses I would that were my half right. while I was out here. So I wasn't stacking up that much money, about three hundred dollars a month, right? Um, extra, right? Um, Goss was great. I mean, he gave me a credit card. You know, uh, he paid my insurance. Well, I paid for everything. You know, with his checkbook, um, and kept the house stocked with everything he needed, and the parties and the home, the second home, and all of, all of it. I got yet to try everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're fortunate, don't don't do it all at once because it will kill you. Yeah. In moderation. Yeah. And especially if there are other people involved. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. You know, I literally was a straight man and with Goss. Yeah. I had to be. That was, you know, I dad had an inkling of what I was running off to. Yeah. You know, and the one piece of advice. One piece of advice, God bless my dad. And I don't think I've ever heard him use the word before. He said, don't fuck with your boss. If you want to keep your job, don't fuck with your boss. That was the only only advice, because that's all he could figure is that I was going out there for a fling. And if I really was serious about this job, I needed to be, and I, I got it right away. I, uh, I looked like the straight man. I never took my clothes off. There are no pictures of me in the nude. <laughs> you know, they're, you know, are passed out in, in some, someone else's bed. I, for three and a half years, I played straight, straight man. I always had to be sober to be able to drive anyone home at 2 a.m. if I needed to, because I was, I was on call or pick someone up from the airport or drop them off, or give get someone a latte, you know, uh, I literally had to be on call. So I, there was no time for me to be, uh, well, that's not true. On the, on the times that I was over in Palm Springs, that he was here, he would get rid of me. He didn't want me around for the parties. And he didn't want the dog around for the parties. So he wanted me to take the dog to Palm Springs. And uh, Jim. My, how, how, who managed the parties? Oh, part, this was a classic Hollywood party, I'm sure. Oh, you, you mean know. like it would not be his party at his house? No, no, it was his party at his house, and I prearranged everything. Got everything it. was set up got it, got when it. I left. Got it. And then I came back to clean it all up. Wow, so there was nobody there servicing and people. It was just, it was already preset. And yeah, but that's, that's what those parties were right those kind of uh events you feel like they were debauchery-esque yeah i mean uh, uh, the orgy you know i mean whatever he's dead now i can say that um but that's what he wanted this man uh, had worked his whole life to get to the certain point he was dying he was dying he knew uh as I said, I ended up giving him experimental drugs yeah. during the last six months of his life. So yeah. if I was doing that, there were no parties during that. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the first three years leading up to yeah. that. Uh, you know, I mean, some people, you know, there there are a few a fast fuse. They they just want to they play hard. Yeah, they play hard and they get in and they get out. There's right. no question. So death wasn't the issue. It was how you know how how much fun is it going to be getting here? Yeah. 
So coming back to you and. Well, see, because I don't play that way. No. I have a whole nother. So I could be straight laced and, you know, and believe me, everyone wants to come on to the straight guy at the end of, uh, you know, once everyone has done everyone else, that's, and I'm like, uh uh-uh, you know, hands off. Uh, And, you know, I'll make sure that everyone gets home safe. But that's also what's keeping you here. Yeah. Well, okay, there's my Lori story. You know, again, she trained me, you know, whether it was her intent or not. I knew well before HIV was an issue that, you know, my fluids, those are your fluids. You know, let's mm-hmm. want to play. We got to figure out. A, <laughs> a, mm-hmm. I had a black mammy. I can't believe I said it that way. Uh, of a nurse. When I got my HIV test, I was so paranoid about the results. Oh, to go back to an early story. When I was 27, a buddy of mine who uh, I was godparent to their first child. And, you know, I remember, you know, changing the diapers and, you know, learning how to hold them and everything. So I find out after their third child, this guy comes to me and says, uh, uh, I need to tell you something. Uh, I've, I've tested positive. And selfishly, the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, God, I hope I make it to 30. You know, three more years. I, I, I can finish everything I want to do at 30, you know. But that was, you know, that's a 27-year-old mentality. And uh, then, I, then he's like, and uh, I want you to get tested. Well, obviously, I'm kissing this guy, too. Um, and was he was he married I, to a woman? I love yeah. He, yeah. Oh, the most beautiful woman, a circus performer. The two, uh, the two. Okay, here. I mean, he'd been by his whole life. Yeah, a waiter, one of the top waiters in uh, in Tampa at Burns Steakhouse, and she was a circus performer, high wire kind of thing. Gorgeous gorgeous um and they literally got together to produce children they wanted they knew they would produce god what an Aryan concept (laughs) they they knew they were going to produce the most beautiful children in the world and they did and they did and then uh she died the mother died the mother died during birth no uh Sometime later, she got some sort of cancer. Jesus. That quick, that quick. So she was super young. Yeah. I mean, and the children must have been about eight, seven. And when he tested positive, had she already passed? No, she was still alive. And uh, it was about seven years later. So, but I mean, it was the kids were like three, four, two. The oldest must have been about three. And did he survive? Yeah, he's still alive. He's doing great. He's one of those, um, and I love this man. I just, uh, you know, another one, mentor. I, I, not idolized him, but aspired to his his thinking, his quality. Uh, he, um, great chef and cook, um, had met the greatest chefs in the world. Burn Steakhouse was known for its wine. Um, and just 
he travels all over. I, I, I've got his posts. He's friended me on Facebook, and I can see he, he's traveling all the time and very much a family man. That his parents are involved, and uh, you know, but uh, and it's it's a stable, you know, he's got a stable uh, friend. Um, but he was the one who wanted to wanted me to get tested. Prior to that, I'd never thought about it. And that was the first time ever. Yeah, the first time I thought about getting tested. So that's in '87. I waited six months to get my test back, but then they couldn't even find it, you know, because you went going anonymously. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, six months later, I thought, yes, I really need to get this. Because he kept asking me. Got me because you back. had been involved yeah, with one to, another? Yeah. You know, I mean, guys, you know, I kissed them, you know, and I mean, you don't have to kiss each other too many times before mm-hmm. you're concerned you've, you've exchanged. Mm-hmm. So I told this to the, woman mm-hmm. when I got my test results back and she said I was negative and everything and she said but I still have to counsel you I can't let you go for another 45 minutes so let's talk <laughs> and, and uh, god I was crying I was in tears I was a mess you know well first I was grateful but I told them why I came in I said well you know I've kissed this this guy or you know I'm concerned about working with children or whatever and she said oh no no it's not spread that way honey yeah. You know, oh, you you got it all wrong. No, no, it, it's got to be blood to blood or sperm to blood or, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, you're not going to get it by kissing. Mm-hmm. In fact, if, you, if you're if at a bar and you kiss someone, honey, just go get yourself a scotch. Swish it around. That would kill anything. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, God, I was so relieved. I was 27. And uh, so now I'm a scotch drinker. That's hysterical, <laughs> Wyndon. Oh, my God. Okay, so here we are at the third hour, okay. and we are literally just, I just want to hear, like, what what do you want to be known for? What do uh, you, because you keep talking about everybody else. I uh, want you to focus on you, because you. I find that now, with, now I'm listening to you, what I found that, this is just a poem, this is just an observation that you put people before you. And that you talk through your story. I am so selfish. I'm a I'm a single child, a one a one family child. I really I'm a prince. Uh, The world really does revolve around me. And my dad prepared me. He says you can do that at home, but uh, when you get out there in the real world, you're gonna find it's not always gonna be in your favor. You know, being that way. So. Yeah, I, I'm sure I've got all a lot of other ways of dealing with it, but a lot of times other people's stories are more interesting than the ones in my own head. All right, so I, I love, love them out. No, and, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What you just also said, how you have to, how you learn to compartmentalize that, because if you just come to the door in every situation as as maybe a, a, a single a child who happened to be the only child that was like you literally used terms you know and prince and you know and the other terminology i've been with people especially actors who do think that they that the world revolves around them which is okay for about 15 minutes right then then you need to actually let up and let other the other hour needs to be about the other people around you then right. you can go back Right. to me, 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 me. Right. And then but if it doesn't, it, 
which uh, <laughs> because if you don't give other people the chance, they they they're gonna get over it real fast. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Yeah, I get. That. I mean, no one no one's that beautiful or that interesting that uh, that you can get away with it. Um, you know, at some point, even you know, even the, the ones I love, you know, I've mentioned a dozen men in my life. And even the ones I love, at some point, I went, okay, enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't matter how they came and have been flowing yeah. your life. And, uh, you know, I think, I, think, I think that's a really beautiful way of wrapping things up that, you know, that to, to the core. No, no and that's the reason I waited 10 years to get back with you so that we can have a conversation like this. Because <laughs> if we had conversations like this every week, we would have nothing to talk about at some point. Well, I mean, we would we would definitely <laughs> yeah. have other conversations, but we can't have the same conversation about the same yeah. thing. The whole it would time. it wouldn't be that this diverse. I mean, I right. really I'm fascinated. I'm so thrilled to be back with you, and you know, I won't let it go another year. Oh uh, no, 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 definitely no. But I think that um, what I want to say to you is. How much I appreciate your um, transparency and your sharing and your sharing your evolution of how life unfolded for you and and the things that have transpired that um, that have been marking points in your life and who has been a bit you know who have represented big chunks of time over since I've known you certainly and um, how you managed to really you know, successfully survived lots of things and lots of people that, you know, have leveraged you or shaped you or inspired you. And um, I just know that there's a lot of people who love you and, um, and we're lucky to have you. Well, I feel lucky to still be around. As I said, it was 30, that was 30, one years ago or 30 you know four years ago that i thought i hope i make it to 30 yeah and then when i made it to 30 and then when i made it 33 i thought oh this is the jesus mark i'm supposed to be crucified because i you know only children actually do believe they are you know the son of god and i'm here i am at 60. well celebrating you and your 60 and 60 more to come and uh, i plan to celebrate much more with all the people that i can well i love you celebrating you and celebrating you being here all right god bless god bless bye-bye i love that winden and i can just be ourselves as if there is no judgment We literally can just pull back a curtain and share some things that maybe we've never shared with others and feel at ease and safe and why I love this platform because it gives people permission to show up just being themselves. And that is exactly what Wynn and I did. So thank you so much for joining me on part two of my conversation with Wyndon Newton. And join us next week with my dear friend, Lee Lassack, music producer, performer, and entrepreneur of LML Productions, where he produces many musical artists, as well as books, their tours and concerts. I look forward to you joining me and sitting in on this conversation that we have together. 
that spans many an opportunity of things to talk about and really, really phenomenal human being. I look forward to you joining. In the meantime, share, join, subscribe, and be a part of the Camp Fifi Uncensored community where the spirit is young, the soul is wise, and the life stories are vast. And we talk about everything from soup to nuts or what we like to say from cannolis to egg in the holes. And don't forget the s'mores. Look forward to you joining us next week. Bye for now. No.